Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good to have you here today. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, and then turn a couple pages more to the right to the book of Acts. And was like, wait, I thought we were done with John. We are, but we're now starting the book of Acts. How exciting. Amen? All right, three. Woo, yeah. Book of Acts. We're going to be starting this today. We'll at least cover some of the intro. And, of course, we're going to be picking up verse 1 down through verse 6 in a few minutes. But before we do, let's ask Lord's blessing. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your word will come to us. Teach us and help us, instruct us and build us and grow us in the grace and the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know what you're doing, Lord. We want to know what your plan is. We want to know what your program is. We want to know what your purpose for our existence is. And so, Lord, as we gather today, we ask that your spirit would just anoint us with your presence Fill us by your Spirit and lead us as we start to just continue to absorb the Word of God. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we praise you in that name above all names, Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. I appreciate the music this morning, man. I tell you, boy, you know, you start worshiping the Lord and singing about the the Lord. It's hard to sing a song that doesn't have something about His holiness or his kingship, that he's King Jesus. Amen? By the way, the message today is, Thy kingdom come. And I thought, how interesting that Rusty doesn't, we don't collaborate as far as what I'm going to speak. And so, you know, as he puts some songs together, I look and I go, wow, look at how many songs have King Jesus, the blood of King Jesus, or or worshiping the King. I mean, it, that's the Holy Spirit working. Amen? He just dovetails it, coordinates it all, because uh, we're not smart enough to do it. So we just say, you just do it, Lord. And he puts it all together. Acts. All right, let's uh, let's begin our new book here. First of all, by way of introduction, we refer to it as the book of Acts, or we just call it Acts. The actual proper title is the Acts of the Apostles. Matter of fact, your bulletin today uh, probably, uh, it doesn't probably, I know Bonnie put it on the front. I said, oh, nice, put the whole title, the Acts of the Apostles. This book is about what the apostles did. This is how they acted. This is what they accomplished. Uh, this is what they were sent forth for. Now, bear with me as we think through the introduction. First of all, the book was written approximately A.D. 61. I said, wow, 1,900 years before I my story was written which was 1961, for those doing the math. But in AD 61, Luke, known as the beloved physician who accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys, Luke writes this book, known as the book of Acts. Now, I want to read to you from Acts chapter 1, verse 3. In Acts 1, verse 3, he writes this, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything, From the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
Now you say, now why did I go to that? Because in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus, which means friend of God or dear to God. And Theophilus, more than likely, was a high-ranking Roman official. Matter of fact, when he, the title, Most Excellent, that title is a, a Roman title given to someone in a position of authority. And so he uses the title. It's like we do with a, a judge. We say, Your Honor. And so uh, he uses the title, Most Excellent Theophilus, Lover of God or Dear to God or Friend of God. And he writes... First of all, the Gospel of Luke to this man, Theophilus, and it was written about A.D. 60. So the Gospel of Luke, he starts out and he writes about Jesus Christ uh, at A.D. 60. Right starting with his genealogy. Matter of fact, he gives a very in-depth genealogy. Takes it from Mary, and he goes all the way back past the patriarchs, past David, Isaac, Abraham, and he goes all the way back even to Seth, the son of Adam, and Adam, the son of God. He realized that he carried that title when he was sent here. Adam, the son of God, Luke tells us. And so he gives this big genealogy, lays out who Christ is, right from all the ways from Adam, all the ways uh, to his birth as the king. Here's the, his right to the throne. And then he, he lays out in the Gospel of Luke, all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach, his miracles, his sermons, and as he moved through presenting himself as the Messiah. But do you remember how the Gospel of Luke closes? The very last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, remember it closed with two men who were on the road to Bloomington. Where were they going? Emmaus. They're on the road to Emmaus. And these guys are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're upset, they're kicking dirt, and they're arguing amongst themselves. And Jesus comes alongside them, walks with them, sees them, still hears them arguing. I mean, they, didn't, they just kept going. And, and he walks along with them, and he says, essentially, what's the problem? And they looked at Jesus, not even recognizing him in his glorified state. And they look at Jesus, and they said, what, are you the only stranger around here? Boy, if they really knew who they were talking to, they were like, Ooh. said, Your Highness, excuse us, but you know. What, are you the only stranger around here? For this one Jesus, a prophet of God, who we thought was going to be the one, the Messiah, the one who was going to overthrow Rome and set up a kingdom. The one that we thought he was it, was crucified and buried. And he says, and this is the third day since all that's happened. And here they are discouraged and dejected, and they're leaving and walking away from Jerusalem. And Jesus says, don't you know that these things ought to be? And he goes through the Old Testament and begins right from the beginning and takes it all the way through and shows himself all the way through the Old Testament. He said, this is who I am. And then when he pretended he was going to keep walking on, they invited him to stay for dinner. It's getting late. Why don't you stay here? So Jesus stays. Interesting, by the way. He always seems as if he's going to pass on. He wants to see what we're going to do. If I keep going, will it bother you? If I keep going, would you say, okay, see you later? Or if I just keep walking, would you say, wait a minute, spend more time with me. Stop, fellowship, hang out. So Jesus does. They break bread, and right there at the table, as Jesus was with them, all of a sudden, what does he do? Boom, he disappears right from their sight. 
And they say, wow, did not our heart burn within us when he opened up the scripture to us? And immediately they got back up and they walked seven miles back to Jerusalem and told all the disciples. Remember, that was Resurrection Sunday when all that took place. That's how the gospel of Luke ends. It ends by the disciples being discouraged and dejected and upset and say, man, here's a Resurrection Sunday and, and we thought Jesus was going to set up the kingdom. We thought he was the man. We thought he was the prophet of God. We thought he was the one that was going to come as our Messiah. And then he closes the gospel at that event and then going back and telling the disciples. Now, the reason I tell you all that about Luke is because in verse 1 of the book of Acts, he begins by saying, In my former book, or thesis, or treatise, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So he says, Theophilus, in my former book, what was the former book that he's speaking of? Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So in AD 60, uh, Luke, Dr. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke to this Roman official, Theophilus. And then AD 61, he writes the sequel. It's kind of like the Paul Harvey, you know, the rest of the story. Remember him? He'd tell you so much and he'd leave you hanging and then he'd get back to it. Here's the rest of the story. So it doesn't end with two guys dejected going uh, to the uh, road to Emmaus and so forth. It, he says, well, now let me tell you the rest of the story. So AD 60, writes the Gospel of Luke. AD 61, he now writes the Acts of the Apostles. This is what's happened since that. This is what happened after uh, Christ rose from the dead and met with his disciples. Now remember, this book is going to cover a span of 31 years. All right? So this is after uh, the resurrection, obviously, and after the Acts of the Apostles have been played out. You follow me on that? He's not writing prophetically as what they're going to do. He's writing, looking back, saying, this is what they did. So he looks back over 31 years at A.D. 61. So at A.D. 60, after all the acts that the apostles did were done, A.D. 60, he writes to Theophilus. A.D. 61, he writes the sequel to the gospel to Theophilus. See, the word's getting out, isn't it? Even a Roman official says, hey, I want to know what's going on out there. I want to know what's God doing. You know, he was probably hanging at the, the, the edge of his seat there saying, man, when, when's part two coming? You know, it's like, like a good book that comes out and you, you know there's a sequel coming, you know? Or like those good movies. Anyone ever wait around for that last scene at the movie after the credits? All right, a few of us. I don't know how long I've waited there. I've waited sometimes and the guy's sitting on his, leaning on his broom like, there's nothing left. Oh, okay, well, there was no little uh, extra clip. But I wanted one, you know? Well, this is how we come to the gospel or to the book of Luke. Luke is writing this as a sequel. Now, one of the reasons that we see it, it's around A.D. 61, a year after the Gospel of Luke, is because he makes no mention of Rome burning, which was A.D. 64. So had Rome burned, he would have surely mentioned that in the account. Uh, he makes no mention of Paul's execution, which would be A.D. 67. So six years from this writing, Paul will be executed. He makes no mention of Jerusalem falling and the destruction of Jerusalem, which will be A.D. 70. Which would be nine years from the writing of this, this book. So when we, when we see that, he, he doesn't make any mention of these other events. The conclusion comes to the fact that he, since he was with Paul, he was more than likely in Rome 
when he writes this, he was in Rome with Paul while Paul was under house arrest. So the first time Paul was under house arrest, later he'll be put in a dungeon and later he'll be beheaded. But at this time, he's there in Rome with Paul under house arrest. So he writes this letter and writes this book as a sequel to Gospel of Luke. Now, if you were to break up the book, it's, you know, some people like to outline it. Well, how would you dissect it? How would you break it out? Probably the easiest way is already laid out in Acts 1.8, when he says, you'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right? He, he breaks it up geographically. So through the book of Acts, it's going to start where? Jerusalem. And then it's going to move to? Starts with J, sounds like Uda. Judea, that's right. Then he's going to move to? Samaria. And then to? Out of most parts of the earth, right? The ends of the earth. So that's that's how the the book of Acts is, is laid out. Someone said, uh, "I tried. It's hard to get a real grasp. For it. It's very easy. Start here, 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 and concentrically start working out." So he gives the the uh, theme and he gives the the layout. Now, what's interesting also when you look at the book as an overview, the first twelve chapters, you're going to find there's predominantly. Four or five people we mentioned. You got Peter. You're going to see Stephen. You're going to meet Barnabas. You're also going to meet uh, James in the first 12 chapters. So between Peter, Stephen, Barnabas, James, those are the main characters, if you will, first 12 chapters. Then from chapter 13 to 28, 15 chapters, there's primarily one dominant person that's going to be talked about, which is Paul. Isn't that amazing? You know, you got a group of them here, and then it whittles, whittles down from chapter 13 to 28, and Paul's the predominantly the one that is uh, talking about in there, in, in his missionary journeys. And someone's like, why is that? Sometimes we think it's like rocket science. It's really not. The reason it's like that is because Luke, that wrote the book, traveled with Paul. <laughs> And in chapter 13, from Antioch, they began the first missionary journeys that started going out from Jerusalem up into Judea, Samaria, and so forth. So you follow me? So Luke is with Paul as he travels with Paul, and he documents under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the events of the Apostle Paul. So that's why you have 15 chapters with dealing with Paul, and the first 12 will, will have Peter and, and uh, Stephen and Barnabas and James and so forth as the predominant ones. So that's kind of like a, an overview as far as introduction. Now, everyone got that? Any questions? No? Hearing none? Let's move on. Let's read it. Starting verse 1, let's read down through verse 6. In my former book, the Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Apostles means sent ones. After his suffering, uh, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was, what? Alive. I just pause sometimes. When I look at that, I think he gave how what what's the quantity? Many. And what, what was the purpose for convincing? And they were also proofs, plural, with an S. Many convincing proofs. That what? That he was alive. 
I'm sorry. But it seems like if I met someone who just died earlier, and a couple weeks later I'm meeting and they're standing in front of me, I think I need one convincing proof, and there they are, right? <laughs> so here Jesus, he shows himself and shows himself, and he eats with them, and he says, touch me. You know, he goes through all these things and say, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. You've got to be convinced that I'm alive. In order to convince you that I'm alive, I will prove it. Isn't that what he did? That's, so he goes, and he, not just once, but many times and to many people. Matter of fact, Corinthians will say over 500 people will see that Jesus was alive and resurrected from the dead. So he, he says through many proofs, he proves he's alive. Then he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Now, let's pause there for a minute. From the resurrection to right now, we're at 40 days. The day of Pentecost is going to be 10 more days from the point we're reading at right now. Capiche? Penta, meaning five. Pentecost is 50. 50 days from Passover uh, is a day of Pentecost. That will be the inauguration of the church. You back up 10 days, they'll be there in the upper room praying for the 10 days waiting. Right now, he says, in that 40-day period, Jesus met with them. Remember, he met with them in the upper room on the Resurrection Sunday. Remember that? After he just took a walk with the other guys, with the men on the road to Emmaus, remember? He had to leave in a hurry, because he had to go see the other guys in the upper room. Right? He meets them in Jerusalem on that first Resurrection Sunday. It says, John says, a week later, they're still in the same room, locked away, Right? So now a week later, he meets again with them in Jerusalem. When we closed out John, it was at John 21, where was he meeting with them? In Jerusalem? No. Way up at Tiberias at the Sea of Galilee. They went fishing. They're 70 miles north of Jerusalem. All right? So in this 40-day period, by the way, they were in Jerusalem. They had that time that they traveled to Galilee. They didn't take a bus didn't fly. They travel up to Galilee. They go fishing. Then they had the time to travel back. So all this is taking place in that, that time period. Are you with me on this? So Jesus meets with them. Now, over that period of time, not only did he meet with them, this is important. And he spoke about what? Kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, by the way, do you remember an occasion where he was just eating with them? John 21, remember that? Do you remember we were in the book of John? Okay. I know. Two years, I know, I know. John 21, he was just eating with them. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem. Where were they eating in John 21? Way up in Galilee, 70 miles away. He's like, guys... Go back to Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay there. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. We're going to see it's the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, ten namely, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, when they met together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The kingdom of God 
to Israel. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom that David was the king of Israel over? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Who, who's in charge right now? Rome. Isn't that amazing? He's writing to a Roman official. <laughs> and he says, yeah, by the way, Mr. Roman official, the disciples wanted to know if God was going to establish the kingdom of God and restore it back to Israel. I wonder what he thought when he saw that. I wonder if I should say anything. I'll just keep it quiet. Actually, three days or three years after this, Rome's going to burn. He's probably thinking, oh, here it comes. Right? But he says, "He will you establish it at this time? Now, the message this morning, it's just going to be a compact message in a sense. Don't cry. Don't cry. It'll, it'll be. Yeah. The message is, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It's not usually what we think of when we think of the book of Acts. You see, Luke is giving a overview of 30 years. And in this gospel, or in this book of Luke, he's going to chronicle the, the acts of the apostles. Now, you and I know that the church is going to be established in chapter 2. Uh, we know that it's going to uh, try to start taking root in Jerusalem. We know that at 13, they're going to start spreading out. We, we, we know the outlay of the book of Acts. But the problem is, oftentimes, we get caught up with the people. We get caught up with the personalities. We get caught up with the miracles. We get caught up with the events. We get caught up with the narrative of what's going on in that chapter, and we forget the overarching theme and purpose of the book. And the purpose of the book is to speak about the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom program, and Luke says, I want to tell you about it. Jesus talked to the apostles about it, and I want to pick that message up. Remember, this is the same message when John the Baptist came on the scene. Remember what John said? When J.B. showed up, he said, repent for the what? Kingdom of God is what? At hand. He said, repent because it's right here. It's at hand. This is when Jesus came to start his ministry but yet, now the apostles are not saying the kingdom of God is at hand. They, they say the kingdom of God is available now. Now the kingdom is receiving admittance into it. You see, the gospel was Jesus coming to earth to, to show himself as a Messiah, to prove that he was the Son of God, and then to become the sinner's substitute. Then to take not just Barabbas' place on the cross, but your place and my place on the cross. He was a sinner's substitute. The, the just died for the unjust. The holy died for the unholy. Right? The sinless one died for the sinful ones. He took our place on the cross and he paid in full all of your sin and all of my sin. Amen? And all the sins of the world. It's already paid for if they'd only accept the payment. Right? So he paid it in full. And this is where we come to this text, is after the resurrection, it says that Jesus then meets with his apostles during that 40-year period, and he speaks to them. In verse 3, what was the topic of discussion? He spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. You see, when you think of this, and some say, well, why is the book of Acts positioned right here? And after all, you realize the book of Acts will be written after the other letters. See, during the book of Acts, when they go to 
Thessalonica or Galatia or Ephesus. After he goes there, Paul is then going to write a letter back to those towns. Capiche? And so it's after all that, that Acts will be written. So you say, well, if it dates after those other letters, why is it put before those other letters? The answer is because this is the, the sequence of events, if you will. The, the Gospels, the four Gospels, lay out the mission of Jesus Christ. He came to do the Father's will, and He came down to earth, born of a babe, lived a sinless life, did the Father's will uh, to the T, went to the cross for you and I, rose from the dead, and by the end of the Gospels, mission accomplished. Did Jesus accomplish the mission for which He was sent? Absolutely. And so the Gospel of, of Luke is mission accomplished. Phase one. And phase one was the kingdom of God is at hand. Phase two now is being introduced. Now he's accepting admittance into the kingdom program. Now the kingdom of God is not only at hand, now it's available to you and I. The amazing part is this. During that 40-day period, after Jesus rose from the dead, he could have talked to these apostles about anything he wanted to, right? And yet, what was it? What was the focus that he says, guys, I want you to grab onto something. There's something that I'm proving that I'm alive because there's something you need to embrace. There's something you need to get your mind and your heart around. And did you notice he did not talk about how to live the Christian life? You would have thought, okay, here now your Christian life is available. Let's talk about how to live the Christian life now. He won't talk about that till later in the letters, right? They'll, they'll be written. He does not talk to them about how to overcome sin in your life. Yes, you're forgiven at the cross, but you still battle and struggle with, with sin that keeps so easily besetting us, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if it was hard besetting us? But it doesn't. The Scripture says the weights and sins that so easily beset us. And so it is. But he doesn't talk about how to overcome sin. He doesn't talk about how to live the Christian life. He doesn't even talk about the beginning of this institution he's going to start on the second chapter known as the church. Matter of fact, in the Gospels, he only mentioned it once. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Enough said for now. Right? He doesn't, so now after the resurrection, you don't say, well, do you want to pick up on that theme about the church? No. Lord, do you want to talk to us about how to live our Christian life? Nope. Lord, do you want to talk about how to overcome sin that so easily besets us? Nope. He says, right now, I want to talk to you and focus on the kingdom program of God. You need to understand the kingdom. And do you think they understood that this is what he was talking about? I think yes and no. I think by the time you get to verse 6, they're saying, well, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he's probably thinking, okay. At one time, they really didn't get it anymore. I mean, we got the advantage of the whole New Testament. They didn't. We got the whole New Testament, and we still don't get it. Eeks. We've had 1,900 years to study it, but we still don't get it, right? But he says, but I want you to grasp something known as the kingdom. Now, when it says kingdom of God... It's the same word, it means, literally reads, dominion of God, or reign of God. It's a theocratic system. By the way, in the, in the hallway, 
I have put out some uh, little notes with verses on. My wife saw it and said, you're going through all those verses today? <laughs> no. That's just for your reading pleasure. So you can pick some up on the way out. Some already got some maybe. But what is the kingdom of God? What is the dominion of God? In order to understand it, you go all the ways back uh, to the to the book of Genesis, and God told the first Adam, the first man, He said, Adam, here's what I want you to do. Have dominion over the earth. Are you with me on that? Isn't it interesting, by the way, we call the things on the earth the animal, what? Kingdom? Or the plant kingdom? They're referred to as kingdoms. Well, who's going to rule these kingdoms? Who is supposed to rule? Adam was sent here. Adam, the son of God, Luke will say, was sent here, was created by God. And he said, Adam, here's your job. Have dominion. Make this earth a righteous kingdom. That's all. Now, did Adam succeed? <laughs> no. He made it about Genesis chapter 3. Didn't get very far, did he? We're talking hours, maybe days at most in the garden. And he and Eve, as you know, both of them disobeyed the king of the kings, if you will. And they did their own thing. And so in so doing, he then forfeits his rule, his kingship to rule the earth. And now what we have today is the mechanics of sin-saturated society. We have the mechanics of a kingdom gone wild, right? We have the, 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 the world, the society of a, of a society ruled by sin, not ruled by righteousness. Do you realize, and, and it's funny, because sometimes people say, Pastor, sound a little political today. And I remember that time he said that, I was like, really, I wasn't even that? I can get political, trust me, if you want me to. But do you know that this book is a political book? Do you realize that? This, this whole thing is about a kingdom and a king and dominion and rule. The whole thing is about a political thing. But the thing is, it's a different kind of political system than you and I are thinking about. Because the first Adam blew it. But 1 Corinthians 15.45 says that Jesus came not as the second Adam, but He came as the last Adam. Right? There's no one coming out. There's no Mohammeds. There's nobody else out there after Jesus Christ. Amen? There's no other name under heaven given whereby a man must be saved. So 1 Corinthians says that Jesus came as the last Adam, and He came to rule and to reign in righteousness. He came as the king over little kings, the Lord over little lords. He came to do what the first Adam failed to do. By the way, ever wonder why the oldest one in the Old Testament, Methuselah, lived to be 969 years. Fell short of a thousand years. Fell short of the millennial kingdom in which they will live a thousand years. So here, Jesus comes to establish a literal, physical kingdom on earth. Now, there are our friends, bless their heart, known as amillennial. Amillennial. Millennial means a thousand, all right? 
you put an A in front of it, it means without a thousand. All right. Theist means God. Atheist means without God. Atheist. All right. You put that A in front of it. Now, when it, when it comes to the millennial kingdom, the ah, millennialists take an allegorical interpretation. What I mean by that is allegorical means it's, well, you don't take the Bible literal. You take, it's just spiritual, you know, and, and this is really becoming a problem because now you're going to hear, well, there really wasn't an Adam and Eve. There was a spiritual lesson to be learned there. No, there was a literal Adam and Eve, right? They're, they're, they were literal people on a literal earth, on a physical time, in a point of history. And so when, when you come across spiritualize everything, you start losing a great deal. And I, I mean, you just, it falls apart. But they get this kingdom in your heart idea in John. When they say, well, even Jesus says his kingdom's not on earth. In John 18, I know you want me to read it to you. I will. Verse 33 of John 18. This is when Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your idea, Jesus asked, or did someone talk to you about me? Now, Jesus not only knew the answer to that, but he knew who talked to him about him, right? So he says, where'd you get that idea? Pilate says, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus says, my kingdom, that's my dominion, my reign, my rule, is not of this world. And the millennials say, aha! Right there he says, it's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But, now my kingdom is from another place. Now, he doesn't just say, my kingdom is from another place. He says, in contrast, but now. Now is a time reference. Are you with me in that? When do you want me to come over? Why don't you come over now? We understand that's a time reference. He says, but now my kingdom is from another place. And implying that it's not always going to be. You are a king then, Pilate uh, said. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. For what? For the kingdom and the king program. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, our millennial friends will say, no, there's no millennial kingdom. There's no thousand-year physical, literal reign of Christ on earth. It's the kingdom of God's in your heart. It's spiritual, and that's, that's all there is to it. And, and even Jesus said, his kingdom's not of this world. But listen, friends, Jesus is saying, at that time, my kingdom is not here right now. My rule is not here. If it were, they would fight. But right now, my, my kingdom is not of this world, but... His kingdom is going to come and extend to this world. Do you remember the first question? Amen. Do you remember the, the question the disciples asked Jesus when they said, How should we pray? Now, Jesus gave him an example. It, it was an outline. It's like, here's how to pray. It's not, here's what to pray. In other words, it's not, oh, we got to always remember to say to the Our Father. Here's how to pray. 
But he says, Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. And then Jesus gave him an interesting thing to pray about. And pray this. Thy kingdom, what? Come. And your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Is that right? So Jesus says, you want to pray for something? You pray for the commencement of the kingdom. That's what he says. You pray that my kingdom in heaven and my rule in heaven that is unquestioned, unargued, always obeyed in heaven will now come to earth. Amen? He goes, you pray that it's done that way on earth. Now let me tell you something. Our friends that think it's just in your heart, I say, okay, now where's the righteousness part then? Right? Where's the ruling and righteousness? The way I see it, this world is not getting better. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> this world's getting more unrighteous by the day, by the hour. But Jesus says, you pray that my rule on earth will be the same as my rule is in heaven right now. Let me tell you an amazing thing about his rule in heaven. <laughs> when King Jesus tells the angels to do something, they don't argue with him. And I'll say, well, all right, Lord, I'll pray about it. Pray nothing. No, he doesn't do that. They don't argue. They don't say, well, let me first, remember like the guys in the scripture, let me first go, and I have bought an ox. Let me go first, go prove it. In other words, test drive it. You know, It's like, I bought a vehicle, let me go test drive it. What's wrong with that picture? You understand it? And, or, or let me bury my father. In other words, the idea is he's not dead yet, but I'll wait. I'll, I'll get around to doing your will. And they kept saying, let me first do this. You see, the problem is on earth, it, that's what our response is. Let me first, and then I'll do whatever you want me to do. Let me first pay my bills, then I'll trust you to take care of the other thing. Let me first take care of this job over here, and then if I have time, I'll help at the church or do whatever, you know. It's always me first, but Scripture says, no, wait a minute. No, the way it's done in heaven is you first, Lord. (laughs) Not my will, but what? Thy will be done. We get it backwards. We say, not thy will, but my will be done. Like, wait a minute. Who's the sovereign God of the universe here, right? So that's that's how in heaven, listen, in heaven there is no sin, there is no temptation, praise God, there is no dominating sins in, in lives, uh, there, there, there is no disobedience in heaven. He goes, in heaven, it is run purely. He says, pray that there will come the time where the kingdom will be established on earth and I will rule and reign in righteousness. Amen for that? I mean, I'll give you an idea, friends. You and I, the church even at large, will not usher in the kingdom of God. We will not usher in the righteousness. We will not be the ones that can establish it. Only King Jesus can establish the righteous kingdom. With you in it? And by the way, when you think of His kingdom... You, you realize this kingdom is not a democracy and it's not a republic? Right? He, it's a 
theocratic kingdom. Theocratic, which means God runs it. Uh, it's a nice way of saying he's the boss. And he's not going to say, you know, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you vote on it? You realize you're not going to, anyone is going to vote him out of office. He's going to be in office for a thousand years and then another thousand to boot, right? No one's going to vote him out. No one's going to have, oh, I think we should have a town hall meeting about this. Really? <laughs> King Jesus, by the way, you know what his rule is? He is a benevolent dictator. Oh, I said that one time. I said, Pastor, you should not use dictator in, in, in speaking about Jesus. Really? But he says, when I say to do something, they do it, right? But he's a benevolent. That means he's a loving dictator. Listen, our parents, when we were young, they were benevolent dictators. At least they were supposed to be. But when, when that stove was on, and, and Junior, we go over there to put our hand up at the stove, and say, don't touch the stove. They told us what to do because they loved us and didn't want us to get our hand burned. Right? That was a benevolent dictation. Do not touch the stove. Now, if they didn't love us, they say, here, let me help you. <laughs> Jesus is not going to set up a democracy. He's not going to set up a, a republic which America is, by the way, it's not a democracy, it's a republic. He is not going to set up any form of government like we have. He's going to set up a theocracy where he is the boss and he will be the king over the little kings. He'll be the Lord over the little lords. He is the one who's going to tell them what to do. He is the highness, right? Highness means there's none higher than you, King Jesus. So Jesus will set up his kingdom and it will be a millennial kingdom on earth. Now, Revelation chapter 20. I know you're sitting there thinking, man, I hope he goes to Revelation 20. Okay, here we go. Revelation chapter 20. Follow verse 1 through 6. John writing, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan. It's kind of like, in case you're not sure who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Satan, the devil, the serpent. He says, yeah, that guy. He goes, I seized him. He seized him, the angel. And he bound him for how long? A thousand years. That's a millennium. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the what? Nations. So therefore, nations will be existing during the thousand years that he's in the abyss. Capiche? Nations. Any more, deceive many more. Until how long? Thousand years is ended. We're ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. And it's going to be a very short time. It's amazing. At the end of the thousand years, he's going to pull a rebellion together from the four corners of the earth very quickly. And immediately at that point, will be ushered into the great white throne judgment. They will, immediately. But is that crazy or what? A thousand year reign of Christ, and people will still not want to follow. Still not want to. They see him right there. They'll see New Jerusalem, uh, a satellite city right over us. During, God bless you, during the millennial kingdom, God bless you, that you and I will be in, in our glorified bodies. You understand that, right? Right? 
And yet, there's still going to be rebellion. People say, yeah, I don't want to follow. Let's continue. I saw thrones, not throne singular. This is other thrones. On which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. They were put in a position. I saw the souls of those who have been, what? Beheaded. Because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the Word of God. By the way, when I was in Bible college and seminary, you know, it's interesting when we come across this, if you're doing Dan Rev and you're doing a study there, we see beheaded and we say, oh, that's, that's barbaric. You know, we're, we're a civilized world now. They don't do the beheadings anymore. Right? Back in the 80s, you know, when I was in school, the closest thing they would get, well, this, you know, maybe it's a guillotine. You know, you don't remember the French had made the guillotine there? How many of you ever remember a Thief in the Night movie? Anyone? One, two. All right. Got to rent it someday. It's funny. It's funny because of the cinematography in it, you know. It was the old school version of the rapture. It was the rapture taking place. And it's kind of funny how, you know, this guy is shaving. He didn't want to go to church with his wife. He didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And he's shaving with his electric razor with a cord on and stuff. And, and all of a sudden the music goes, dun, 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 you know, and the, and the razor drops in the, in the sink and he's gone. You know, oh yeah, he, he was saved. The neighbor wasn't saved. That's what it was. But then all of a sudden his razor poof, drops in the sink and it's, dun, 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 dun. You know, it's great. You got to get the old one. But anyways. But in the movie, the Antichrist shows up, you know, and, and, and they were going to behead the Christians, that, but they just show a guillotine coming down. And then they don't show anything else. You just, oh, you know. Well, it's interesting that that's about as close back then, and I think that was even produced in the 60s, they would come to this phrase. But when we read that these souls, and these are, this is in reference to those in Israel at the time during a tribulation period, that these believers, because of their testimony for Jesus Christ, they were Jews that believed in Jesus Christ, and they're standing for the Word of God, they will be beheaded. And that doesn't seem as far-fetched now as it used to in the 80s, does it? You would, you would think, no, 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 the, the beheading, that was way back. That was the barbaric times back there. Not, not now. You know, this is the 80s. Well, listen, now here we are in the 2000s. And yet we're seeing them do not only the two American journalists, but then he just had the British uh, aide there just the other day. And these are only the ones that they're showing on the video. We're not talking about the, the thousands of Christians that have been killed, been beheaded, been crucified, uh, been chased out of the Mosul and all these cities. These are ancient cities, ancient areas of Christianity. And, and ISIS has come in and, and they're doing these barbaric deeds and beheading people as if it was a, a code of honor to them. Look at what we're doing. And we sit back and we look at Revelation Back 10, 20 years ago, he said, no, people would, wouldn't do that. Would they? Yes, they would. And they are. And by the way, they are Muslim. They are, it is Islam. As a matter of fact, it's probably the purest form of Islam if you stick to the Quran. All right? And not only that, it is ISIS, Islamic State of Iraq, Iraq and Syria. Or Syria. I-S-I-S. I don't like this I-S-I-L. That's Islamic State of Iraq and Levant. The Levant is 
the area that would include Israel in and all through Jordan. That's the Levant. That was the old. By the way, it was Assyria, the Assyrian Empire. It was all this area that we now read about, northern Syria, northern Syria and northern Iraq. That was Assyrian Empire. That was Assyrian Empire that, that claimed all that territory and the Levant, all the ways down through Jordan, all the ways down through Israel. And every time we call it ISIL, I-S-I-L, the Islamic State of Iraq and Levant, we are clumping Israel into that as if they are over it. Let me tell you something, friends. There will never be a caliphate over Israel. Never. They will try. But the Bible says that, that Jesus said, when I give Israel, Jerusalem back to Israel, it will never be taken again. They're going to come in. They're going to try. They're going to be those who will be beheaded in Israel. But I'm here to tell you something. They think they're establishing their kingdom until the king comes back. And Luke, he was the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. But he doesn't come back as a lamb. He comes back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And when that lion shows up, let me tell you something. Heads are going to be rolling then, right? When he shows up, he is establishing a kingdom. And he's establishing it on earth. And he says this. Let's finish. I know we're supposed to go to verse 6. You go, Tim, not even to verse 6. Thanks. In, in Revelation 20, they came... They, oh, yeah. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and have not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. The mark of the beast during the tribulation period. These who were martyred, these believers... Jews that put their faith in Christ were beheaded because their testimony for Jesus, they believed in the Word of God, and they refused the mark of the beast. Now, by the way, interesting eschatology, for those who are wondering about Muslim eschatology. Muslim eschatology believes that the, the whole area has got to be in chaos first. That's why they're not afraid of war. Come get them. They'll keep putting their videos out. You know, come do what you want. Come bomb us. They believe the whole area is going to be in, in chaos. Then when their 12th imam returns, then not only will he return, but a, they say a beast will come out of the sea. And this beast will mark the foreheads of all believers. And any that refuse the mark are infidels and you're to lob their head off. That's their, that's their eschatology. So they believe a beast is going to come out and mark the foreheads of true believers. That's the exact mirror opposite of what the Word of God says. You follow me? The Word of God says, no, the ones that refuse the mark are the true believers. Not the ones that receive the mark. The real infidels are the ones trying to impose the mark who will then cut the heads off. But the true believers, God said, will refuse the mark of the beast. So here's the question. Are you going to believe the Word of God? He's telling Israel who will go through this time period. He said, will you believe what I say concerning the mark? Or are you going to believe what the Quran says concerning the mark? Which one are you going to believe? And by the way, the book of Revelation is in the New Testament. It's not the Torah. It's not the Jews' Bible. If you follow what I'm saying. So they're going to say, wow, am I really going to believe the New Testament of Jesus Christ, the new covenant of Jesus, the Messiah? Or am I going to believe this? 
Or am I going to say, well, I'm neutral. I, I'm, I'm Jewish and I, I stick to the Torah. You see, they're going to make a choice. They're going to make a choice someday. And the Lord says that these who refused the mark, they came to life and reigned, let's pick up the verse, with Christ, the end of verse 4, how long? A thousand years. The rest of the dead, in other words, during the tribulation, the wicked dead, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection, the one that the martyrs were part of, that are going to sit on the thrones, verse 4. It says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. And you've heard it, to be born once is to die twice. To be born twice is to die once. Right? Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. We're born once physically, we're born a second time spiritually, we'll only die physically. But we inside will never die second death. They will die the second death, physically and spiritually separated. Capiche? All right, got it. Then he says this, But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for how long? A thousand years. And yet, our friends say, there's no millennial kingdom. There's no thousand year rule of Christ. Then what's that? Right? When Jesus comes, let me tell you, and we're going to see it in, in Acts as we move on to the second chapter. He talked to them concerning the kingdom of God, and they understood it at that point. They didn't understand it earlier, but in that 40-day period, they started to say, kingdom of God, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, no, not right now. But it will be restored, my friends. And he will set up the kingdom of God and he will sit on the throne of David and rule and reign in righteousness and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he will be the king of the little kings and the Lord of the little lords and rule over the nations of the world. By the way, when he establishes his capital there in Jerusalem, you know the promised land went from the Tigris-Euphrates River to the east all the way to the Nile in the southwest, all that territory. When he rules all the area right now that ISIS is beheading Christians and chasing them out of towns, and I mean, you're talking 65,000 just out of Mosul alone, chased out Christians, crucifying them, where all these believers are being chased out right now is going to be the very capital where Jesus Christ is going to set up his kingdom from the Tigris-Euphrates River. By the way, since you're thinking about wild things, let's think about this. When you go from Jerusalem past Tigris-Euphrates River, you're about 750 miles. 750 miles down to Jerusalem. Or down to Nile this way. And then he extends it to the north. By the way, you go 750 and 750, 750, 750 and 750 is? 1,500. How big is New Jerusalem? 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500. Right there, Jerusalem, which I believe is the center of the Garden of Eden, where Jesus went back to the scene of the crime and did not take from the tree of knowledge. He knew and he obeyed the Lord, the Father, and he became the tree of life and died for your sins and mine. Right there in the heart of what was the Garden of Eden, there at the scene of the crime, Jesus came back as the Lamb of God, and Jesus is now going to come back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's going to set up his kingdom.
and it's going to, and just the dimensions of that area, the, the promised area, here we are, promised land, here we are in New Jerusalem, because we're going to be glorified in our glorified bodies. We'll live in New Jerusalem. I, I put it in my notes, NJ, and I go, hmm, New Jersey? No. <laughs> Better make sure I, so I put new J-E-R. No, it still looks like New Jersey. So, uh, so however you want to abbreviate that, you're like, hmm. But we, in glorified bodies, will be in New Jerusalem, and we will rule and reign with Christ. Some over five cities, some over ten. I said, hey, I don't care if I sweep the, the streets here in Nashville. That's cool with me, huh? But listen, and we're going we're gonna to close it here. I didn't get to the next page, but that's okay. But listen, the book of Acts, what we're reading about, is the establishment of something far overarching, far greater than just what happened at Pentecost. Far greater than the expansion of the church. What we're talking about, he's talking about a kingdom program that, that he is going to establish at the end of the tribulation, his millennial kingdom. And, but we're going to see what's going on, what are we doing, what's our involvement right now in this kingdom program. But he says, but this is what I want your disciples to know. Before I'm ascended to heaven, I want to talk to you about the kingdom. And I want to talk to you about the program. And it's not just some kingdom of God in your heart that you can't feel, touch, and be part of. He goes, no, I am going to rule and I'm going to reign for a thousand years. I'm going to do as the last Adam what the first Adam failed to do. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to establish the Father's kingdom. And when there's a rebellion at the end, boom. That's a great white throne judgment. And they'll stand before the throne of God. He goes, but I want you to know that everything you see going on here is all part of this kingdom program that's yet to come. Let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I think that stuff's like really cool. It's like, man. Because friends, I want to tell you, so we are getting closer and closer to the Lord's return every single day. This world is rapidly running to destruction. Running to destruction. And when I start seeing things playing out, when the Bible speaks of the bear from the north coming down into Israel, and I started, which is referring to Russia, and you look at what's going on in Russia, and you look at Putin saying, hey, don't forget that we are a nuclear country and we are not afraid to use it preemptively. I thought how interesting that during the NATO we had a a TU-93 bombers. You know, the TU-93 bombers, you know what their name is? It's a Russian bomber, the bear. The tu the TU-93 Russian uh, cruise missile nuclear bomber is flying off the Atlantic coast doing lunch, not lunchbox, lunchbox uh, practice runs over the U.S. You know what a launchbox is? You know when you see the missile go up, you see this little launchbox? During NATO, he's intimidating him by flying over and doing launchbox practices over the U.S. with a nuclear cruise missile, TU-93, called the Bear. They've been doing it for a month over, over the, off the Pacific coming into our territory. But, you know, you look at that. We don't hear about that stuff. We hear about Beyonce and all that crazy stuff, you know. Like, Give me some news, man. I think that's news, but that's just me. Well, you got Russia. You got a group like ISIS. A few months, it was 1,500. Ah, they're nothing. Now they're up 31,000. And now they're looking to establish their caliphate. And it's the first time since 1922 that, that anyone's ever claimed to be the caliph. And Baghdadi claims to be the caliph. That's not coincidental, I don't think. 
And then you look at the plagues of pest. I'm not, hey, you're like, oh, you're a doom and gloomer guy. Nah, I'm just telling you what's out there. I mean, you look at Ebola. What's going on in Africa? More people have died just these past few months than have every, Ebola's been around, but all that time combined is less than how many are dying right now with this plague. And what, what in the world's hitting our country with this respiratory thing? I don't know. 540 people were admitted to the hospital in Cincinnati Friday, one day, with the children mostly, with the respiratory problem. I tell you, friends, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the Lord's return. And there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation there, which I, I'm a pre, pre-trib rapture guy. I believe, like Noah's Ark, will be lifted above the judgment and then we'll return back to the earth after the judgment. But hallelujah for that. Amen. Amen. That wasn't my plan, by the way. That was his plan. But Christians say, well, I'm glad I'm out of here. Let me tell you something. The closer you get to the fire, the more you're going to feel the heat, though. Don't just think that everything's going to be hunky-dory one day and next day, oh, we're in glory. <laughs> Guess we missed that one. But all of a sudden, we're going to, you're going to feel the heat as you see the day approaching. You're going to feel it. We're going to, you and I are going to feel it. I believe, I believe this generation will not pass away until we see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is a literal physical kingdom. And Jesus said, Guys, I want to tell you about this thing because what you're about to embark on has everything to do with this kingdom program. And we'll see what they're going to embark on when we return. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the great truth of the Word of God. Thank you, Father, that you saved us. Wow. You said, blessed are those who are on the right side. And we are when we stand with you. So, Father, we thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. And I pray that a little bit of heaven will start in each of our lives. That your kingdom will be done, not just on earth, but your kingdom will be done in my heart as your kingdom is done in heaven. That you will help me to listen to you and to obey you, to, to know that you love me and anything you ask me to do is out of a heart of love. And so, Father, work in our midst. Break away bondage. Break away the weights and sins that so easily beset us. Help us, Lord God, to to walk with anticipation, not with fear, because that's not of you, but anticipation and in faith, knowing that you have custom designed us. And I believe it, Lord. I believe that every one of us in this room right now are already internet watching. I believe that we have been custom designed to live at this very point in history, that you've placed us here for a reason. And it's not to sleep in a slumber. It's to be busy about reaching citizens for the kingdom of God. Bless us, teach us, help us. Grow us, we ask. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.